0: Let's go before the Lord in prayer again and ask for his blessing. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day again. We thank you for the revelation of Christ. We thank you for your purpose in him to redeem us and to bring us into glory that we may behold of the glory that he had with you before the foundation of the world. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who has been given to all who belong to Christ to testify of the truth of these things. I pray now for mercy to speak that which is true and also for your people to be given a hearing ear. We honor you, glorify you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, good morning. One and all, if you are Just joining us this morning, we are going to be back in Romans 5, but we cannot make any progress until we go back to Genesis. We have to go to Genesis to build the understanding. I was feeling very strong this morning, feeling tired because of a lot of work that I've been doing behind the scenes. But the Lord will give me strength. I have experienced this many times. Be praying for me even as you are listening because we have a lot of things to glean, a lot of things to hear and learn things that will make you wise, and to salvation. This is what Apostle Paul recorded for us, Romans 5, verse 12. We are still in Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. We have three titles this morning. Number one title is the continuation of the many titles we have had. I typically don't want to go beyond part three because people stop listening. I will go only to part three at the top end. But this will be Sin and Death in Adam part three. And number two title is... The woman whom you gave me. The woman whom you gave me. And number three, the glory of Christ in Adam. The glory of Christ in Adam. And we'll begin this way. If we get Christ wrong, I'm trusting that the sound coming through, I can see that far. Okay, I don't see anybody complaining of sound, so we should be fine. If we get Christ wrong, we will get Adam wrong. And if we get Adam wrong, we will also get Christ wrong. Why? Because God determined to transact the matter of our salvation in the two men as representatives of those that he put in them. But each bringing a different dimension to the conversation. But in Adam, we should see more than just sin, death, and condemnation entering into humanity. We also see the mystery of Christ being preached in the testimony of Adam, which is a point that is largely missed by many professing Christians and especially the preachers. They tend to get too fixated with the sin of Adam and lose God's plot. God's camera is always moving so as to show us things that reveal the Lord Jesus Christ, which means if we read Adam correctly, we should get all the gospel testimony in him. You don't have to wait for Romans to hear the gospel. You shouldn't have to wait for John to hear the gospel. It's right there in Genesis, even the very opening chapters of the book. And we'll pick our teaching from where this happened. The tempter, the devil, has made a cameo appearance into the garden and has spoken deceitfully to the woman so as to entice her to eat from the tree which thing God had forbade them from doing. And the devil's selling point was that God lied to her. He insinuated that God was withdrawing some wonderful things from her that, if accessed, would make her very wise. She would take a bite and become wise just like God knowing good and evil, and that to say, she would be an equal of God. And that to say, the devil is a preacher. He is a mighty preacher, but he is a preacher of lies. Disguises himself as an angel of light, And that means a bringer of the truth, a preacher of righteousness. But a preacher of that which brings death. The devil is a preacher of lies and death. Let's go to Genesis 3, verse 6, beginning at verse 6. This is what Moses said, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. The woman's sin of covetousness was exposed. The commandment to not eat had done its work. To expose the sin that was within Because there's no man or woman who is naturally righteous who is not Christ Jesus. Jesus was not made righteous by law keeping. He was intrinsically righteous. He was naturally righteous. He did not need to do anything to be righteous. So Adam and Eve were not naturally righteous. They were innocent, but they were not righteous. And so the function of the commandment that was given was to give the knowledge of sin in the forbidden tree was hidden the knowledge of sin. Hidden the testimony of the function of the law and with the commandment Death, because of sin. And see that it is the woman who was approached by the devil, and it is she who ate first and committed the transgression, such that Apostle Paul said, "It is Eve who was deceived, and not Adam." And this is from. Testimony 2:14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. How is that possible? When we know that Adam too ate as a text says, she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. How do we reconcile that? That Adam was not deceived, and yet The sinning is being attributed to the wife. It is because of the gospel mystery that God was preaching. The woman must eat first because she is the picture of the church that must go into sin and temptation and the condemnation of sin first before the redemption. The text says, Adam was not deceived, and yet he ate. Why? Because Adam represented Christ Jesus. Jesus was not deceived by the devil. Yes, the devil tried, but he was not deceived. Even though he came and was condemned for our sins, that did not make Jesus a sinner in his person. Jesus was not a sinner in his person. He got guilty not because of deception of sin, but because of the imputation of sin. But remember what was said earlier before Eve was created from Adam's side. It was said that it was not good. For the man to be alone, if Eve is and is condemned by herself, then she is separated from Adam and Adam is again left alone. So, to not be separated, Adam freely gave himself. To eat and enter into condemnation or into the condemnation of his bride, that the two may continue to be one. In life and in death, Adam and Eve are joined together. See that Adam ate that which was given him by his bride. He did not go and pick for himself. And yet Romans 5 says, sin, death, and condemnation came by his disobedience. And that means, the sin that condemned the Lord Jesus sorely came From his bride, the church. It was not his sin. It was the sin of someone else. The Lord did not sin, but was united to his bride first by election and then by imputation of sin in entering the place of her condemnation. By Jesus coming from heaven, through the incarnation, he was entering the place of the condemnation of his bride. So it was not good for Adam to not have a companion and thus saying it was not good that the man, Christ Jesus, should be alone without the church. God gave him a bride, the church. And for this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother that he may be joined to his bride. In just about every culture across the world, when a woman is married, it is she who leaves her parents. But the text of Genesis says it is the man who leaves the father and the mother and be joined to his bride. And that means that he's not talking about us. That is the very opposite. That is talking about Jesus. It was he who left the father in the incarnation. Him leaving the father that he may be joined to his church through the death of the cross he had to come where the bride was because the bride could not come or go where the man was but what happened after adam and eve had eaten how much wiser did they get verse 7 of genesis 3 then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they saw the fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Their eyes were opened to the reality of their foolishness, to the reality that they were naked, and that means they had no righteousness of their own, to the reality that death had come upon them As God said, it would. Adam and Eve were not as righteous as Christ Jesus was righteous, even in their innocence. Yes, they were innocent. But righteousness is more than being innocent. A child who's born today is innocent They haven't really done anything wrong. They have not stolen. They have not coveted. And yet they are not as righteous as Christ is. Sooner or later, their sin will be discovered to them. And that means in God redeeming us, he was more than returning us to the Adamic state before sin ended. God, through Christ, was not restoring us to the glory of the Garden of Eden. Because that would still leave us in the same predicament as Adam was in. God has, in Christ, given us not the righteousness of the innocent Adam, but the righteousness of God, the immutable, everlasting righteousness of Christ sin, death, and condemnation would not have come to us if Adam had the righteousness of Christ at the time of eating. If he had the righteousness of Christ, sin would not have come to us. As I've said before, Adam and Eve must sin because there's none who comes to God, who shall not sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that served a wretch like me. Adam and Eve must sing what can make me whole again. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This was always God's plan. In other words, God's riches of grace and mercy must be praised by everyone and anyone who comes into his blessing. Eve and Adam must know that they too were vessels of mercy, just like the rest. They were no better than you and me. And in the wake of their eating from the tree, they did something that men and women have been doing ever since in one way or the other. They sought for themselves fig leaves. They opened the oldest free will fig leaf Baptist church. Yeah. They sought for themselves. That's a problem right there. Sowing for yourself. Righteousness. Some garments. Garments to cover their nakedness before God. Garments to cover their sin. But sooner than later, they discovered that those leaves were not doing much of a good covering. The fig leaves would dry out and they would have needed to constantly make new ones. And that got them busy. It put them on the treadmill of works salvation. They got busy with their sewing machines as we find today in many churches. Many people who appear to be righteous are not righteous with respect to the gospel. They have just sown for themselves some seemingly good-looking fig leaves and sprayed them with some expensive perfumes. But their fig leaves shall dry up and be burned up and be exposed that they were the works of the hands of men. So be careful of the clothes that you have on for righteousness. Because a lot of places that are open this morning, that are open on Sundays, are claiming to have some clothes for you, some clothes to give you. But much of what they are giving are the same old fig leaves that have been sent to the dry cleaners, same old fig leaves. Verse 8 of Genesis 3. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. For the first time, Adam and Eve got afraid of God's presence, And they sought to seek cover and refuge among the trees of the garden. That is what sinners do. They do not ever come to God by themselves. They hide. They run away. Sinners do not naturally run to God. They run away from God. They stray away from God. Verse 9, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? That is the first question that is recorded in the Bible. Where are you? And it was from God asking the whereabouts of Adam. Of course, God knew exactly where Adam was, it is like mothers and their children. When mommy calls and asks about a thing, they already know who the culprit is and what they did. <laughs> exactly right. Mommy knows what's going on. Where are you? Is saying it is God who always comes. Seeking out for the sinner. There's none who seeks after God. No, not one. It began right there with our first parents. Verse 10, Genesis 3. So he said, Thus Adam, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Adam gets afraid. Because of sin. Sin causes fear. That is where our fear comes from. It is a fear not of man, but of God. And it is a fear because of our unrighteousness. Fear of judgment. We know that naturally. But this is what God says to those who are in Christ in the matter of fear. 1 John 4. 1 John 4, verses 17 and 18. John says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because... As he is, so are we in this world. As he is in righteousness, so shall we be, and we are even now. That's how God looks at us. This is that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. There shall not be any spot or blemish to be found even here and now because whatever Christ is now, that's what God has made us to be in righteousness. So are we in this world, even though we are dealing with sin, God says, no, don't look at your experience. Listen to what I'm saying. As he is. Don't be afraid Of the condemnation of your sin because it is not there. There's no fear in love, verse 18. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, that is, punishment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love, right there, that is a reference to the gospel. This is not just, this is not Valentine's type love, birthday flowers and perfumes and stuff. That's not what God is talking about. He's talking about the love of God in Christ in our redemption. That's what it does to us. It removes the fear of judgment and gives us the boldness, the confidence, even in the day of judgment. So the redeemed should have no fear because the Lord Jesus completely perfected them. God is not seeking them to condemn but to bring them to the truth of their salvation, of their standing, of their acceptance, of their being loved of God. That's what God is doing with the gospel. He's not seeking you to condemn you, He's seeking you to give you the confidence that it is well between you and Him because of Christ. Verse 11 of Genesis 3 And He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? God says, how did you know that you were naked? And God provides an answer by way of a question. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? So God tied Adam's nakedness to the breaking of the commandment. That is what the law was given to do, as I have said many times, to reveal your nakedness, not to stop you from sinning. Those who use the law to stop themselves from sinning are not using the law correctly. That's not the right use of the law. And those who claim that they've stopped sinning because of, Law keeping are also not telling the truth. The commandment of the law has no power to stop sin, but it is powerful to arouse sin, to revive sin, and to kill. That the law has power to do, but it has no power to make you righteous. It cannot. God did not put, put the power to make you righteous in the law. It is in Christ. It is in the cross. It is in the blood. That's where the, the power of righteousness is. Let's go. Then the man said, the woman whom you gave me, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Adam, in response, said, I am not going down alone. If I must sink, I am going to go down with her. Lord God, it was not really my fault. It was because of this woman whom you gave to me to be a helpmate. The responsibility. Of Eve and her actions belongs to you. See now, the kind of helper she has turned out to be. You should have done some more background checks on her. (laughs) You could have made her better. It seems there was some undisclosed Defects. When she was mad, that was only mad known to me when she ate. She is the one who gave me of the tree and I ate and that is what happened. And many wander into the wilderness of speculation trying to figure out the tree and its fruit and miss the point of the conversation. And many people would also say Adam was trying to pass the buck as it were to the woman and blaming God and that he was not being honest. And so Adam is assassinated. But Adam was not lying. Adam was not lying. There's an ordering in the things that Adam said. The woman was given him by God. And it is by the woman that he was found naked. By the woman that he was found in sin and under death. And that is the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ through the words of Adam. How did the Lord find himself naked on the cross? Was it not because of the woman whom God gave him? Was it not because of the church? God is he who determined to give a sinful bride to his son, the Lord Jesus. And the son's nakedness must be revealed in the redemption of his bride. The clothes of Jesus were not just taken off to take them off. God was saying, this is the second Adam. This is the fulfillment of what happened with the first Adam. Verse eighteen of Genesis 3, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The woman says, No. Since Adam did not take ownership, I am also following suit. I am going to blame the serpent. The devil made me do it. <laughs> he deceived me. Sin thus ended through the woman, through the deception by the serpent. But the serpent could not deceive if there was no commandment to not eat. He would have had nothing to use. He deceived the woman through the commandment. The devil even now uses the law to deceive people because of sin and tell them that it is possible to enter heaven by the works of the flesh by the works of the law, by your own obedience. That's the preaching of the devil, that it is possible. After all, the commandment is good. The commandment is good, holy, and righteous. It is God's law. It is God's moral law. If you can just do it, you will make it in. That's the preaching of the devil. Here goes the judgment of the matter. Now we go into the section of the judgment. And God begins with the devil. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, your cares more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field, on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. So, as I said, God began his condemnation with the serpent. It would seem to me like the serpent used to have legs before this judgment. So the serpent was judged in and through the devil, or the devil was judged through the serpent, because he was the one speaking (laughs) through the serpent. Serpents do not eat dust for food. It means they are sore to the ground because they have no legs. That dust is always on them and in their mouth. I don't know. Their mouths don't look ashy to me. Just being curious. (laughs) But hear this from God, verse 15. He said, and I'll put enmity between you and the woman... And between your seed and a seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Eve had not yet had any children at this point. And this is important in the gospel sense. Because all humanity must be born under sin, death, and condemnation. So if this has to happen, it cannot happen after Eve has had children. It has to be before. If Adam and Eve had had children before sin ended, that would have destroyed the typology that God was building. God said, He would put enmity between the serpent, that is the devil, and the woman, and between his seed and her seed. God is He who puts enmity between things between people and it is he who also makes peace he alone is able to do that only god can make peace and only god can bring enmity the woman would have seed would have offspring what kind of seed is that here we have division happening Division being introduced into the human race. Two camps of people are being introduced to us those that would bear the paternity of the seed of the serpent, and those that will bear the paternity of the seed of the woman. That's the division. This was already in God's mind to do. This was just an outworking of the sovereign will and purpose that there should be two spiritual races or houses of people divided, not on national boundaries, not on racial lines, not on gender lines, but on spiritual lines. That's the only division. The house of the gods versus the house of the sheep, of the tares and of the wheat. Vessels of dishonor, vessels of honor. The flesh and the spirit. The house of Ishmael the house of Isaac, the bond and the free, the children of God and the children of the devil. Those are the lines of demarcation. Only two classes of people. Let us hear from the Lord Jesus talking to the Jews who thought they were of God's house through Abraham. Let's go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 30 to 47. John says, As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him. They were trying to be some smart pants people. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? They were lying. Abraham's descendants were in bondage to Egypt and they were at this time also in bondage to Rome. Jesus answered them, Therefore, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. So we have the slaves of sin and servants of sin. The slaves of sin do not abide. They do not remain in the house forever. They remain under the law and its condemnation. But the slaves of the son, those that the son is made free, shall remain in the house because the son always remains in the house of God. Therefore, if the son makes you free You shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, that is, according to the flesh. But you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. So, we see the division of the fathers. Two fathers introduced to us. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. So they take sides. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. The works of Abraham speaking to faith in Christ. But now, verse 40, you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I had from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. So they want to kill the conversation. So they bring up this rumor about the birth of Jesus because he was miraculously born and they attributed that to fornication by Mary. They're like, no, 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 we're not like you. (laughs) When it comes to paternity, we have a better paternity. We are of God, man. We are not born of fornication like you. Okay? So the Jews are tracing their paternity to God through Abraham, but Jesus objected. Verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth. And came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? And the Lord gave the reason. Because you are not able to listen to my word. You have no ability in yourself to hear what I'm saying. Those who are not of God who are not of Christ, are not able to hear the words of Jesus as to understand and believe them. Now, the Lord tells them who their real spiritual father was and is in verse 44. You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And I think this is in reference to him bringing death through deception. And does not stand in the truth. He lied to Eve. And the Lord knows a whole lot of other things that the devil did that are not recorded. He's God. He is the one who made him. How did Jesus know that the devil was a liar and a murderer from the beginning, that is John telling you that Jesus is more than just a regular man. Mm -hmm. He knows the ins and outs of the devil because there's no truth in the devil. There's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. There we are hearing that Jesus is omniscient. How does he know the things that the devil is speaking? He is God. That is the nature of the devil, lies, deceit, crafty, with the end of destroying, of killing. Verse 45, but because I tell the truth, that's a contrast. You do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God, he hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are exercising your free will. No. You do not hear because you are not of God. See, cause and effect. Those who do not hear, those that do not believe God's testimony of Christ, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about his own testimony of himself. And those who do not hear to believe it are not of God. If they die in their state of unbelief, it proves that they are not of God. Jesus did not tie this to the works of morality. He took it all to, do you believe what God is saying about me? Who do men say that I am? It comes down to that. That's simplicity. There are people who are not of God. God never purposed for them to be his in the sense of loving and redeeming them and bringing them into his blessedness. No one makes themselves a child of God by believing or by hearing. Hearing, which is faith, and continuing in faith, in what God has revealed about Christ, proves that you are a child of God. That's exactly what Jesus told the Jews. Cause and effect. Someone said, accusing me of saying this, that I am changing biblical language by saying the very thing that Jesus said to the matter that eternal blessings are not contingent on human faith but on Christ on his faithfulness and his death as the testator of the covenant of the last will and testament. Christ is the one in whom all things are and conditioned. The conditions for you to access those things to you are 100% grace. Your faith does not cause anything. It proves possession. It proves your spiritual DNA. That you are of God. That you are of Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. And he would say the same thing to the unbelieving Jews in John 10, verse 25 and 26. Jesus said to them, I told you. And you do not believe. I told you the truth and you do not believe. The work that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. Faith is not what brings you to be legally the child of God, or to be in possession of such things of God as they are in Christ. Faith is evidence of being born again, of being born of God, of your spiritual DNA, of your birth certificate, that it is of God. And that you were loved, redeemed, and justified already in the death of Christ. Yeah? That's what faith does. So going back to Genesis 3 testimony. The devil would have a seed and the woman would have also offspring. And in the context of the woman, her offspring would be all humanity. But in spiritual terms, it would be Christ and those collectively in him. With Christ as the new head of the new humanity. See that in the cast, God said, Genesis 3.15, And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and the seed. He shall bruise your head and he shall bruise his heel. So the seed in view is definitely the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God said in the singular, he shall bruise. Not they shall bruise your head. Because if that was referring to a whole lot of people, then it would have been in the plural. They shall bruise your head. No, he shall bruise in reference to Christ. See that the enmity, the struggle has been reduced to the two spiritual heads, the devil and the Lord Jesus. And from then on, there would be a perpetual struggle between the evil spiritual forces and those who are of the house of Christ. And that is why Paul said, as we recorded in Ephesians 6, 12, in the last message, we struggle. We war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. This is the household of the devil against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is where it all began on the timeline of humanity. And that is it. The devil has offspring spiritual offspring, demons, and all the evil spiritual forces, and also those who serve the kingdom of darkness. And to the devil, God said, and you shall bruise his heel. Satan would cripple Mankind, humanity, strike at his heel. But in this is reference to Christ. At the cross, the nail-scarred feet of Jesus, they were bruised, but he was not destroyed because he resurrected after three days. But the devil was energizing this whole thing. Remember, the last supper, Jesus was talking about the temptation and talking about the, what's the word that I'm looking for? The betrayal. And the disciples were wondering who it is who was going to betray him. And Jesus said, It is the one to whom I give this morsel of bread. And he gave it to Judas. Judas heard Jesus say what he was saying. And yet Judas ate it anyway. Because the power of God is irresistible. And then Jesus said, whatever you do, do it quickly. And John says, immediately, the devil entered Judas." What was the devil doing there? Was he not supposed to be on vacation somewhere? Because he knew he was part of the plot. Jesus commands the devil to move with the program. Jesus is in charge. He was not a victim. Whatever you do, do it quickly. And then John says, and it was dark. We have a message on that wonderful gospel stuff. Okay? The Lord Jesus would crush the devil's head. He would deliver the fatal blow. And God said, This warfare is what was going to happen from then going forward until all these things had been fulfilled. And this was anticipating the defeat. Of the devil and the evil spiritual forces on the cross, Jesus said, "I saw the devil fall like lightning from heaven, okay and then in Colossians two hear this in Colossians two thirteen to fifteen Paul said. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Listen to verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So this whole transaction happened on the cross. That's where the defeat was. So the cross was more than just what was happening in Palestine. This was a cosmic spiritual event. Okay? Jesus handed defeat to the devil and the horde of the fallen spiritual dark forces. So God says the woman who have a special seed would go to war and fight with the serpent and deliver the ultimate victory and reverse what the devil had helped to bring about. Verse 16, to the woman he said, that's Genesis 3, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So the woman wears two hats. She is a type of the church and also a type of Christ. As a regular woman, God said, he would immediately uh, multiply her sorrow in childbearing. The woman was to bear children to God. But she would not have them under anesthetics. She would not have them through a c-section. She would not have them through an epidural. She would bear children to God through pain. But that role of bearing children to God was for Christ to do. Because Adam and Eve could not bear children who had the perfect image of God. Because of sin. It is Christ whose pain would be multiplied in childbirth. Through the sufferings and death of the cross. It is Christ who would bring forth children to God, children who, according to John, were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. That was Christ to do. And if anyone says, well, Jesus died but he did not serve anyone, he did not justify anyone until they believe, they surely do not know what they're talking about. Jesus did not go to the cross because he was suffering from some Braxton contractions. He did not have blood and water spilled, the fluids of birth, and yet remained pregnant with unbirthed children. You need to understand this. Jesus did not go on the cross to suffer a stillbirth or fail to deliver. What did God say in this matter in Isaiah 6, verse 9? Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66, verse 9. This is what God said Do I bring a baby to the birth opening and then not deliver it? Ask the Lord. Or do I bring a baby to the point of delivery and then hold it back? But that's what people are saying. They say Jesus tried to serve some people, but he held back. Jesus was like a woman who was in the labor room, in the delivery room, in the maternity ward, giving birth to children who belong to God. If a woman is in labor, goes to the hospital, and yet goes home without a baby, Goes home with an empty cassette, then that is very sad news for the woman, for the suffering that she went through. God says, He brought a baby to the birth opening and delivered it. He did not hold back. Isaiah 53 says, He shall see. The labor of his soul and be satisfied. as a woman giving birth, when they see the labor of their soul in the contractions and the pushing for the birthing of the baby, they smile. As the soon as the baby is given them, the woman has already forgotten about the pain. She's so happy. Let's hear from Jesus. John 16 20, 21. most assuredly John 16 20 and 21, most assuredly, I say to you that you weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So the Lord Jesus saw his impending experience of the death of the cross in the picture of the woman who was pregnant and about to give birth. There's always sorrow and anguish, anticipation. But all that went away, it goes away. And for the mother, they won't remember. The anguish for the joy. You see the exchange from anguish to joy. The anguish for the joy that a human being, that is the church has been born into the world, redeemed and justified. That's the joy of Christ. That he has successfully justified his people. The payment that he has made has been accepted. God also said to Eve, you shall have desire for your husband and he shall rule over you. You shall not listen to the evil schemes of the serpent but of your husband. God is not on the feminist agenda. What is that saying? It is God speaking to the church and saying to the church, "The church shall have desire for Christ, her true husband." That's what God is speaking. Verse seventeen of Genesis three. Then to Adam he said, "Because you have." Heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. So Adam heeded the voice of his wife, not the voice of the serpent. The Lord Jesus, as it were, heeded the voice of his wife, the church, not the voice of the serpent. And here was the judgment. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. The ground was cursed for the sake of Adam. The creation was cursed for the sake of Christ. Adam was essentially sentenced to a life of hard labor. In toil is the same word translated sorrow for the woman's pain with respect to Eve in verse 16 of Genesis 3. And it is also used in Genesis 3, sorry, in Genesis 5 with respect to Noah. Let's go to Genesis 5.29. Genesis 5.29. And he, that is Lamech, called his name Noah, saying, This one who comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. And Noah is the new head of humanity. Noah is coming and carrying the testimony of the first Adam as the new head of humanity. And that statement was prophetic of the person and work of Christ. That the Lord Jesus, when he comes, would do what? Would comfort us concerning very specific things, concerning our work and our toil, the pain of our hands because of the curse of sin, because of the curse of Adam. So the purpose of Christ is right here given to us through Noah. He would comfort us concerning our work, he would remove the curse. Let's <laughs> well, revisit verse 17 again. God said, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. That was the life of hard labor for Adam. But I believe that to be a gospel testimony of salvation, to say the redeemed shall eat of the fruit of the cursed ground, of that which comes out of the ground, having been buried into the cursed ground, and reason that we shall eat. That which has been buried and has been resurrected from the ground. Like the majority of the things that we eat that are natural. They have to be buried into the cursed ground. And then they germinate and they bear fruit. And that's where we get our sustenance. That which has been cursed and buried into the cursed ground has become our sustenance. has become our life and salvation. If you don't bury your food, your plants, your seeds into the cow's ground, there's nothing for you to eat. You don't get milk from the supermarket. (laughs) The cows have to eat grass. Don't get fruits from the supermarket. Something has to be planted first. Those are fruits. Okay? Hear this. The Lord Jesus came and said, he is the bread from heaven. The bread which came down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. That's from John 6, 52. He went on to say, I am the living bread. which came down from heaven, bread that is living, not dead bread. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So that is speaking to his death on the cross. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So this flesh This bread from heaven is not to be eaten raw. It must be taken through suffering. It must be roasted as with fire. It must be planted into the cursed ground as the grain of wheat because of the curse and yet arise and of him we now partake by faith and we live because of his life, we live because of his resurrected life. We could not live unto God until the Lord had toiled in righteousness on the cursed ground, suffering even in childbirth. That is the process of how you and I came to be called the children of God. It is more than election. Okay? Okay. Election gave us the legal right to be recipients of the work of Christ. Verse 18 of Genesis 3. And you know that we are almost done when we get to verse 24. (laughs) Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. Thorns and thistles, Matthew 27 27 to 29. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him when they had twisted a crown of thorns And that to say, this is the second Adam who has come to remove the curse of the thorns and thistles brought by the first Adam. They put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. So that is the fulfillment of it. The Lord Jesus is fulfilling every scripture in the Old Testament, so there's a lot of layered detail in what was recorded for us to glean. I don't think everything that we could know to be fulfilled was recorded for us, because there's just a whole lot of detail. Okay? But... God poured some highlights to connect us to the details. They thought they were mocking, but God was fulfilling scripture. In verse 19 of Genesis 3, God says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And that is speaking to the flesh as it is in Adam, it shall return to the dust. Okay? Because as Paul said in First Corinthians 15, flesh and blood cannot inherit immortality. But here is Luke 22 for commentary again on that to the matter of In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Luke 22, verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The Lord is working. The work of the Lord Jesus was not a physical toiling. It was a spiritual toiling. And in Deuteronomy 12, 15 to 16, this is what God said. To the matter of what the children of Israel could eat and not eat in the matter of animals. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates. Whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you, the unclean and the clean may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike, only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it on the earth like water. And that is the offense that Jesus was causing to the Jews when he told them that You eat my flesh and drink my blood. They're like, there's no way. (laughs) There's no way you're going to do that. So that offense was already built in right from Deuteronomy, right from the Old Testament. But that was the blood of God's sacrifice. That was the sweat of the Lord Jesus to be poured on the ground like water. As the Lord Jesus, as he was in the garden of Gethsemane, We're told his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And then, of course, his blood is going to be shed on the cross. Even as he is headed to the cross, he's getting warped. He's getting a lot of physical damage to his body, and the blood is falling to the ground. Okay? Let's go to verse 20, Genesis 3. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. All this time, it seems Adam had yet to name Eve. But why name her now? She has a redemptive name, Eve, the mother of all living. The mother of all the living. Who are the living? But some are dead in trespassing sins. It is those who are the redeemed of the Lord, those in Christ. So you could say, Christ Jesus is the mother of all the living. He gave birth to them. He birthed all who are spiritually the living to God. He made us alive to God. And in this Eve is in the same league as Sarah, the mother of the free. Adam's faith was put on display in the naming of his bride to say, even though God has spoken of death in his commandment and had brought death to him, there were still those who would escape it and be counted among the living. There was still going to be the living even after sin and death had come. And then, some would say, Adam wasn't saved. I don't agree with that at all. They are looking for for Adam to give a summary of Romans They want to see the tithes and offerings and good works of Adam. And I do not understand people's obsession with the salvation of others instead of their own. Who is saved and who is not is God's business. He alone knows the sheep, and none of his sheep is going to be lost. He's going to bring them all. But God has dropped a lot of nuggets around these two, Adam and Eve, to tell the descending mind, those who have understanding of what happened to the two. See that God cares the devil. And did not preach any salvation to him as he did with Adam and Eve. There was no room for the devil to be redeemed. As the writer of Hebrews says, Christ was not given to redeem angels, but the children of Abraham. Those who are of the children of Abraham. Flesh and blood. The devil is not flesh and blood. He's a spirit being. Hear me, someone. We have wonderful things that I'm going to share from then. From here onwards, pay attention to what the Lord has given me for understanding. Bringing in condemnation in the case of Adam and Eve does not mean that one is eternally condemned in the biggest scope of things. Are you not a sinner yourself even this day? Are we still not sinning still? But did God not save us? Did He not save us freely? In spite of our many sins that we are actually doing here and now. So if God has saved us who are sinners and we have done more things than Adam. Why does he need to convince anyone of Adam's salvation? But the salvation of Adam is there in the text. Let us see if my thinking is correct. Verse 21. Verse 21 of Genesis 3. And for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. For both of them, God made tunics of skin and clothed them. What does that mean? Many things. It is God who made tunics for them. It is God who made garments for them. And that means they had to remove their fig leaves for covering. Because God does not put righteousness on top of another garment of righteousness. They could not use their fig leaves as an undergarment. They had to take them off. These tunics that God made were the only garments they had on to cover their nakedness. The tunics were proleptic, anticipative, Of the covering by the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. The tunics were not made by angels, but by God Himself. They were woven by God Himself. And God did not do this because it was winter in the Garden of Eden, He did this to preach Christ and to tell us His attitude towards Adam and Eve. God was giving us his attitude towards the two. He did not leave them naked. So we can't call condemned one whom God has covered and clothed by the works of his own hands. And we have to say this again salvation is not in the faith of the sinner but is in the work of God alone. If God has done it, whoever he has done it to and for his salvation. Also, God covered them with the skins of an animal and that would have been a clean animal that had passed through death, that had been sacrificed. Again, a picture of the death of the Lord Jesus. There had been a shedding of blood by the hands of God himself. God killed an animal on their behalf as the high priest. (laughs) And that to say, that which would come to remove sin would die by the hands of God. And they were covered of the garments of that which had passed through death. I hope someone is hearing what I'm saying. Adam and Eve were covered by the garments of that which had passed through death. And that God would immediately cover his people with the righteousness of those garments of Christ, the Christ who had passed through death. And we see that on the cross, the Lord Jesus' garments were taken and divided among sinners as he died. And this was the preaching of the righteousness that God had promised to Adam in the covering by the animal skins. And that is saying Adam and Eve were saved. There's no way Adam and Eve were saved. We should learn to read and understand the details of the text in the context of the gospel. That's the correct way to read them. So God's point with Adam was not his condemnation to hell, but to tell us, How sin, death, and condemnation came into the world with the view of heralding and elevating the person and work of Christ in salvation, in the simplicity of the transaction of union. Representation and imputation. Those are the doctrines that are in view when it comes to Adam and Christ. Is union, representation, and imputation. That was God's point. Because it is Adam who sinned, and yet death passed to all men because all sinned. How did they do that? Because of union, representation, and imputation. And when it comes to the matter of righteousness, it is still the same doctrines. Union with Christ, representation by Christ, and imputation of sin and righteousness. That's God's point. Verse 22. Then the Lord God said, "Behold, the man has become like one of us. You see the plural, one of us. God says like one of us, that's plural, to know God and evil. Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now let, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Apparently, there was a tree of life in the garden. So there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was also the tree of life. And Adam and Eve, in their sinful state, could have reached out to eat it. And God says, no, it's not going to happen, because he did not desire their eternal condemnation, another Sign that Adam and Eve were saved. He prevented them from doing something that was more deadly than just eating. It seems to me, if Adam and Eve had reached out to eat from this tree of life in that state of sin, they would have been logged in in an unredeemable state like that of the angels. The sinful angels cannot be redeemed. So what did God do to protect them from that? Verse 23, Genesis 3. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So Adam was sent out of the garden of Eden, was given a Ford truck and the John Deere tractor to go work the fields. <laughs> Get him busy. Okay, he's just out of the garden. Verse 24. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim in the east of the garden of Eden in a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God put cherubim and a flaming sword, which tend every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is almost like a radar detector of sorts, but with a defensive mechanism to it. It was put there to guard the way to the tree of life. And the tree of life was a picture of the Lord Jesus. And that is saying, as long as the Lord Jesus had not appeared to redeem and justify his people, there was no access to eternal life. He had to show up. There was no access to eternal life. None could access it. The flaming sword was the picture of God's wrath that stood in the way of our access to eternal life. So all before the cross had to wait for the flaming sword, the condemnation and curse of the law, to be removed. That flaming sword must be removed because we did not always have access to the tree of life, because of Adam. So if we say something different, it messes up the progression of the revelation of the work of Christ. So you and I have to know that there was a flaming sword that prevented Adam and all who are in Adam from accessing the tree of life. Both elect and non-elect, it doesn't matter, none had access to the tree. The flaming sword was there. It had to be removed. Let's connect some points as we close the message. Let's connect it to the Lord Jesus from the Old Testament to the New in the matter of his death and resurrection. Let's go to Exodus 25. Exodus twenty-five, seventeen to 22. This were the instructions given to Moses in the matter of the tabernacle, the building of the tabernacle and its, and its furniture. God said, verse 17, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold pure gold that is in respect of Christ with no sin. Pure gold is saying no impurities. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and half its width. So those are the dimensions. And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. So you have your mercy seat, and on either side or both sides, you have two cherubim that are part of the mercy seat. Make one cherubim at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You see the construction. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put them testimony that I'll give you. So the ark of the covenant had the manna, the rod of Aaron that budded, and the two tablets of stone. And the mercy seat would sit on top, and then he says, verse twenty-two. And there I'll meet with you. You should underline that in your Bible. <laughs> and there I'll meet with you, and I'll speak with you from above the mercy seat. God gives us the place of meeting with Him. He says. don't want to meet you anywhere else but the mercy seat. If I meet you anywhere else where the mercy seat is not, I'm going to kill There I'll meet with you. I'll meet with you in Christ. I'll meet with you on the shed blood of Christ. There I'll meet with you and I'll speak With you from above the mercy seat, from between the cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I'll give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So if I'm going to speak the gospel, preach the gospel, I'm going to be preaching it from this vantage point. Now, in the matter of the resurrection of Christ, John 20, verse 11 and 12. John 20, 11 and 12, but Mary stood outside by the tomb, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Christ the mercy said, If the two cherubim, the angels, one on either side of the tomb. These are the cherubim that guarded the tree of life. They guarded the tree of life in the garden, a picture of the Lord Jesus. The cherubim that way on the mercy seat. Christ Jesus, the mercy seat, the propitiation for our sins. But there's something that was missing in the tomb of the Lord. Something was missing. The angels were there. The cherubim were there. Remember the two things that were guarding the tree of life. There were the cherubim and there was the flaming sword. This flaming sword was missing. What happened to it? The flaming sword was God's wrath that had been satisfied on the cross and removed. And that is saying, access to the tree of life had now been granted to all who are in Christ. The flaming sword, God's wrath has been removed. And that is saying, All who are in Christ were justified in the one offering of the Lord. There's no way that you can tell me that the elect of God, even if they do not know it yet are under condemnation. Because when you do that, you are saying for them, the flaming sword is still there. God is not removing the flaming sword with every person as they come to Christ. It was a one-time act. The flaming sword was removed for all of God's people, the church of all time. Okay? So God's wrath removed and access granted to the tree of life to all who are in Christ. So there's no one who removes the flaming sword by their faith. That's not how it's removed. It's removed by the death of the one who is the mercy seat. God says, I'll meet you at the mercy seat. Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may find help in the time of need. What is there on the, tom- on the throne of grace? It's Christ Jesus. It's the mercy seat. Okay? Now, we began at the beginning of the book in Genesis and we had of the tree of life and not having access to it. This is how God ends the story in Revelation 22, verse 1 to 5. And that's how we end. Apostle John, in his vision, says this in the closing of the book of Revelation. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. Clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river was a tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And now here, and there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. That is the end of the mystery of the woman that you gave me. (laughs) This is the end of it. This is what God is saying. The woman that you gave me is the one who caused me trouble, but with a view to Christ, with a view to the redemption of the church by Christ Jesus. That's what God is preaching through Adam and Eve. So it is a wonderful thing that sin came because apart from sin, you and I could not rise to the level that the grace of God has risen us to partake of the inter- eternal inheritance in Christ Jesus. It is a very, very, very wonderful thing that God has done. Okay? Sin has its purpose. Law has its purpose. But Christ is our salvation and righteousness. Okay? All right. Amen. We are done. (laughs) Let us pray before we close off. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these many words that have spoken this morning. Thank you for giving me understanding and your people of the mystery of Christ that was hidden in the story of Adam and Eve, our first parents. And thank you for preaching Christ, even in that story that this was not really ultimately about the condemnation by the preaching and the dissipation of the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We thank you that you gave us to Christ. We thank you that the Lord came and satisfied the wrath of God and removed the flaming sword. We thank you, Lord, for the access that we have now, the boldness and confidence that we have in even in, in 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 judgment, we honor you for those who were able to tune in to listen. May you continue to bless their hearts with the knowledge of Christ. We honor you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.